Hello and welcome to Inside the Artist Studio. My name is Sean Davis Newton, here, of course, for the Cups and Cakes Network. Today I'm sharing an interview that I did this week with Stephen Lamke. You might know him from a, one of his series of great solo records. You might know him from a little band called The Constantines. Or you might know him as one of the main guys behind You've Changed Records. Today he's here to talk about his brand new solo record, which is called Volcano Volcano. We debut the title track from that record, also called Volcano Volcano, comes out next Friday, April 29th. Talks about how he incorporates all aspects of his life into his creative practice. He talks about getting his first office in Toronto. He talks about uh, uh, challenges with manufacturing for small record labels and and, uh, the kind of unique opportunity that uh, COVID provides. Uh, And, uh, and of course, uh, it wouldn't be an interview with me without talking about growing up in a small town in in, uh, Cambridge, Ontario. Uh, Steven's been a big supporter of Cups and Cakes, so we're, we're super, super happy to have him on the, on the show today. Of course, there uh, might be some foul language in this episode, so listener beware. And uh, of course, if you want to check out other episodes of this podcast, or some other audio, video, and written content, you can do that over on the Cups and Cakes Network website. That's cupsandcakespod.com. One more time for everybody in the back, that's cups, the letter N, cakespod.com. Here's Stephen Lamke. Uh, my name's Stephen Lamke. I'm a songwriter, and I run You've Changed Records. Excellent. Well, uh, Was that yeah, too formal? Still... No, no, that's good. Okay, <laughs> I'm, good. I'm, I'm really pumped to have you on the show. I know you've been a, a, a big, uh, big supporter of the old Cups and Cakes Network, so it's uh, nice to finally get you on the interview show. Yeah, awesome. Uh, I appreciate what you guys are doing. Uh, thank you. This is, uh, this is, of course, Inside the Artist Studio, and uh, we're going to start things off with a little rapid fire and then uh, talk about uh, a little bit about You've Changed and talk about uh, Volcano Volcano, which is a brand new record you got coming out April 29th. So uh, mark that in your calendars. Awesome. Uh, without any further ado, yeah, we'll hop right into it. Um, do you have a specialty dish that you cook or bake that uh, people associate with you? Uh, I don't think anyone necessarily associates any such thing with me, but I do do a lot of cooking and baking. Um, well, cooking. I do a very small amount of baking. I make muffins sometimes um, for me and my partner to have muffins, <laughs> muffin snacks. Um, <laughs> recently made some uh, their banana zucchini carrot walnut muffins. Okay, that's a... That's a lot of things for one muffin. <laughs> kind of a lot of stuff. Just whatever's whatever's on hand, I like to put in the muffin. Oats, kind of oat-based. Yeah, yeah. Oat-based muffin. Yeah, like healthy muffin. Does, does that become like a breakfast thing for you then? Like you'll, you'll kind of go to those in the morning or? Yeah, like not to, yeah, we'll say breakfast, but more accurately, like kind of like a, a second breakfast, like Hobbit style <laughs> <laughs> or like <laughs> the Moomins or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of like s- second or possibly third coffee of the morning with a muffin kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, healthy. Like it's like an establishing kind of for the rest of the day kind of vibed muffin. Yeah, yeah. I feel like you may have given away the answer to the second question, but uh, do you prefer tea or coffee? Uh, I mean, given my choice, coffee. But I do, I do like tea as well. I, I, I like all the caffeinated beverages. Caffeinated hot beverages. Yeah. Do you go all in with like the the preparation of coffee? Like, are you kind of do you have a specific series of steps that you follow, or does it does that matter to you at all? I I mean, it matters a little bit. I like I like good coffee for sure, but I'm I'm not like the, the super technology. Like, I don't have the scale or like the, you know, I'm not like that extreme because i also like i just i do just like coffee and i can even enjoy like a, by any other measure like a bad coffee i'm not like i'm not really actually that much of a snob about it but i do like good coffee but we just make generally with like the stovetop espresso is kind of the oh, okay. at the home we have like the bodum as well which you know makes too much so i get really <laughs> freaked out because i will like totally drink it all if it's there i'm gonna drink it <laughs> 
and then and then the day gets pretty weird sometimes um so that the normal would be like a stovetop espresso like the sort of like smaller or sort of the mid mid-size one that gets like i guess it's three shots or something and then you know me and my partner split it and and it's all it's all good <laughs> you know and then and then make another one almost immediately <laughs> after <laughs> Does caffeine hit you particularly hard or, or uh, are, are you well past that point? I'm totally like, it is like straight up like an addiction for sure. Like, and I, I'm, I sort of suffer if I don't have it at this point, um, which is really like, I, like I don't have many of those sort of things in my life. So I'm very aware of it with this, but um, I, th- I think it's mostly like in a still relatively healthy sort of zone. Um, I, uh, but I, I don't like not having it. Like I, yeah. you know, um, I'm like, yeah, I kind of, I definitely like, there's sometimes when I have too much for sure. And then like, I feel that, you know, so I do, it is, it's still totally possible for me to overdo it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What's, uh, what's the weirdest job you've ever had? The weirdest job, uh, when I first moved to Toronto in like 2002, I guess it was early 2002, I uh, was looking for work and ended up getting a job through a temp agency, which was supposed to, you know, like they sometimes just, you get a job for a day or two at a time. This was actually, I had this job for several weeks. Um, and I got a job placement at, um, the Ministry of the Attorney General, so like this sort of official government, like lawyer office, basically. Yeah. And I was essentially like the photocopy clerk. Um, and I, it was a weird job because I was like, you, we would have to like, I was like the all the court transcripts and um, sort of case books, like they would be making. I don't even remember, like sometimes ten or fifteen copies of like these like 300 page sort of internal sort of publications um, all the time. So it was like a sort of a weird wild job. And cause sometimes there was like photos and stuff involved that were like, you know, like essentially like the autopsy kind of um, yeah. photos um, that were in that. So like most of the stuff, like you're just, I was doing such volume. Like I don't, you know, like I didn't, see or have any like engagement with what was printed on most of these like sheets of paper but the full color ones you'd have to do a little bit more like um sort of one by one and so you'd see some of the, that kind of crazy stuff but it was a weird job too because i had like an office like and i had zero responsibilities that required me to have an <laughs> office but it was sort of like the place where i would go like when i wasn't like immediately working you know because there'd be sometimes where you'd be you know, not having anything to do for an hour or two. So that was a weird job for sure. Cause it was like completely unconnected to anything else, like in my life or to like any yeah. world that I'd ever been a part of. And I just had, like, I hadn't applied for that job. It was through like a, through a temp agency placement and stuff, but, but it was actually like a somewhat decent job for a few weeks, but then um, the public uh, servants went on strike so like the, oh. the office got shut down, like which was the only reason I stopped working that job. Um, and they went on like a strike that lasted for, um, you know, and I wasn't a member of the union because I was through the temp agency, but I wasn't like crossing the picket line and like, yeah. um, and the office was closed. So, and by the time that ended, like I'd got a job at a record store and stuff and had sort of moved on with my life. But yeah, I'd say like definitely that was the most out of left field kind of job that I've I've had. Yeah, do you still think about that job ever, or is it the kind of thing where you kind of have to sit and think, like, oh yeah, I, I guess I did do that at one point. Yeah, like I don't. I mean, there's not a lot of reason to think about it other than like you think about weird experiences you've had in your life, and this was definitely like right. kind of a weird experience. And like, I do like, um, like it was weird. Like I had an office, which was like essentially like it was not like a glamorous like office. It was essentially like the storage, the sort of stock room where like they kept all the pens and stationery and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I just had like a little desk at the end of it. But like, I think about like the things that I stole from there <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and 
and I think about like the missed opportunities for other sort of small time theft because I found out on like one of my last days there, like somebody they were like I think they were swapping out like one of like the the lawyers or the whatever was swapping out like their office chair and like there was a few things that like oh like you have to help so and so move this stuff to like like the big storage room which is on the the top floor. Yeah. And I was like, okay, fine. So like we carried the stuff up, like the boxes of stuff and the chair or whatever. And like I discovered that there was this completely like packed whole upper floor of this like kind of like relatively small but like office kind of tower in downtown Toronto. And it was just like all the broken stuff. Most of which yeah. was not even like broken. But like they were like they were doing like their lawyering and stuff so there's all sorts of like weird like tape recorders for when they were like taping phone calls or taping like interviews with clients or like yeah you know witnesses or whatever and it's like i want this stuff because it's 100 percent not broken and no one's ever gonna miss it and like <laughs> i just never had the opportunity to to sneak back up there <laughs> and partake because because uh yeah like like i said that job ended like within a day or two of me discovering this this cache of wonderful things yeah I, so I, know, I think uh, about that sometimes the, the missed opportunities yeah i i know uh like i grew up in kind of a small town in, in saskatchewan and uh i remember when i was graduating the guy who was the band teacher was leaving that year and he had said uh, me and my friends played in a band and we were kind of pals with this teacher at this point and he was just like well here's all this stuff we don't use and so if you want to take it you go ahead and take it that's okay and then two years later my mom became the band teacher at that school and she was I remember her saying to me like yeah that fucking teacher there's all this stuff that's missing that we don't know where <laughs> any of it is it's like uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's I've in your it's in your garage, it. mom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's the first car you ever owned? Uh, Volkswagen Rabbit diesel. Uh, I think maybe in nineteen eighty one or two. Um, that I inherited from my older brother. Um, yeah. Okay. Do you remember what happened to it? It just it it lived a long life and you know and just we i think I, we kind of gave it to like uh how is he related like one of my parents cousins sort of like one of those kind of nebulous relations that you probably call uncle but isn't really an uncle you know what i mean like right. and he kind of like was just like the type of dude that collected stuff like on his land or whatever so had probably had some like idea of scrapping it or rebuilding part of it or using it in some other rebuild and i don't think probably any of that ever happened i think it probably just sat there <laughs> could still be there um but yeah it, it just aged out of out of functionality um yeah if uh if if you could put together a uh lineup for a show at uh at your favorite club like let's say three bands uh what uh what kind of bands would you uh pick for that bill? Whoa, this is a good question. Does it have to be like actually like feasible? Like do they have to be like existing bands where everyone's you know, still alive and and performing and that kind of thing or can it be like any any anything of all time? You know, if if you've got something in mind for anything of all time, absolutely go for it, but uh you know, I know that that's a lot of options. So <laughs> And am uh, I and like am I on this bill too, or it's just like I get to sit there and watch? I think you just get you just get a free ticket. So this is basically like what's my favorite three band show of all time? Yeah, sure. Wow, cool. I mean, like I'll say like uh, Fugazi, Dirty Three, and Leonard Cohen. <laughs> yeah, that's solid. That's <laughs> are you're you're in Toronto right now, right? I am in Toronto. Yeah. What's uh what's like what's like the club you would choose to host something like that at? Oh, I mean it's this is a weird time, right? Like I don't I don't even know what's open, you know, and it's still <laughs> existing. Like I mean, I guess Massey Hall. Let's say cuz like I mean yeah. it, it'd be cool to do like a small private show for me and my friends somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but let's be a little bit more generous and pretend that other people can come to the show. So let's say Massey Hall. 
Uh, do you have a social media account that that you follow that you know it brings you some joy when you scroll past it? Oh, um, I mean, it kind of depends. Like, I'm un- unfortunately like through myself and through like the label, like on you know most of the social media stuff. Like, um, so it kind of depends. Like on Twitter, I follow a lot of tennis stuff. Okay. Um, for for that's like you know where I follow the tennis updates and scores and news and gossip and stuff. And then on like Instagram, it's more like, I guess, I don't even know. My, my partner, Sherry tipped me off to openly gay animals, which is like kind of like the funny kind of (laughs) meme, meme account that we laugh at um, together. So yeah, I guess that would be like, but I, I mean, honestly, it's more just like keeping track of friends and stuff. And try yeah, not yeah. to spend very much time on any of that stuff because it's so so toxic. But yeah, it, it's funny. I feel like the answer to that question is always either like social media is the worst, and I try not to spend time on it, or you know, here's some videos of some kids doing stupid things, um, and it's kind of either one of those two, right? Like it's this kind of simple absent joy. Or yeah. all of social media just represents like a you know a huge black hole. Yeah, which even the stuff that kind of brings you joy is ultimately like the the deceptively good part of it, but it's still like a black hole. Like it's right. cool seeing weird animals and cute animals doing things <laughs> and stuff, but at the same time, it's kind of like leave the animal alone and let it live its own best life without <laughs> being on camera. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Do you prefer sports, uh, video games, or board games? Um, I mean, I don't play video games at all, so that would that would definitely be the bottom. Um, yeah, board games for me, like, would be like an occasional, and I mean, like maybe once a year, sort of game of Scrabble or something. Um, and then sports, like I kind of actively play tennis and I jog and stuff sometimes or do yoga or whatever so i don't know some of that stuff's not really sports to some people but um and in terms of watching like i kind of only watch tennis in terms of professional sports yeah Um, so it's fairly like i'm like i guess that one's on the top based on what i said but it's pretty like (laughs) it's not like a wholehearted endorsement of sports as a thing yeah yeah (laughs) how did you uh how did you get into tennis i feel like that's a bit of a uh uh, part- particularly, I guess, as a spectator sport, that's that's a, an unusual one for Canada. I mean, getting less so because there's some good players now that have, you know, it's there's longer lines of the tennis courts to play now. It's like sort of harder to get in, so it's definitely increasing in popularity. But um, I think I got into watching it by playing it, and I I don't. I mean, my parents weren't much for putting me or my brother like into organized activities like it was just not our our family's kind of like culture at all <laughs> like they're kind of loners and both me and my brother inherited a bit of that but uh yeah i was in like a tennis camp for like one week when i was like maybe 12 or something and i th- must have asked to do it but i don't remember how or why <laughs> or maybe my mom was just sick of having me around and I was like, you got to get out of the house for a week and I'm put you in this camp. I don't really remember, but I liked it. And then, yeah. like, I, I played, like, a bit, like, just with pals and stuff. Like, I was never on a team or whatever, um, but played sort of through high school and then didn't play for, I don't know, maybe 15 years or something and then have really gotten back into it in the last 10 years or something to, to the point of, like, in the summer, like, I'm quite often playing, like, five or six days a week, you know, like, oh, playing. okay playing almost every day sort of through like as long a season as can manage you know i've played a couple times this spring it's like barely it's been fairly cool here this spring in toronto but i've you know i've got out a couple times already which is nice do you have a hobby or pastime that uh that you surprised yourself by by getting into I mean, it's surprising to me that I follow like a professional sport at all, even if it is tennis, like, which is a weird one, like, but that is a surprise (laughs) to me. I don't like, I, I don't know that I, I don't know that I think about things as being hobbies too much. Like, yeah, I've, I've really like, 
I like gardening and stuff in the summer, which is sort of a bit of a surprise, but I don't even like, I don't, it doesn't like when I think about doing that, I don't identify it as a hobby, you know, it's just hobby is a weird word. I don't know why I'm, I feel like I'm really pushing back on this hobby thing. I don't know why I'm doing that. <laughs> so now I'm questioning that, but um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just sort of work a lot and on music and the label and yeah. creative stuff and then, do other stuff i don't know i read it, it's I funny i feel hobby. like i feel like hobby maybe denotes some kind of like investment i i guess right like um yeah because like i garden too and yeah thinking about it it's like i would never say i have like a, a you know a hobby as a gardener it's just you know i i enjoy planting stuff and so when i have the opportunity to do that i'll go do that and do the best i can and then you know it, it's all kind of like whatever like there are yeah. you know a million things i do like that that just you know fill up whatever small segment of time uh that are mildly enjoyable at least right yeah I mean, I guess, like, the goal is kind of, like, all the stuff that you do. Like, the goal is to have it all integrated into your own life, right? So, it's, like, the idea of a hobby sort of implies that, like, you have some professional job or something, and then you have all the things you do to distract yourself from how terrible that life is. (laughs) You know, and then you call that stuff a hobby. And, like, I... I try not to live that way as much as possible. Like even when I've had jobs, like I've really tried to craft my life in a different way and think about stuff, you know, in a different way. So, um, and like, yeah. so it's the same with the creative work. Like I don't like, I don't think like, I don't ultimately feel like gardening is different than writing a song in a way either. Like I, it's just like, this is stuff. This is all part of being alive. And, and it's as ideally like you're doing as much of the sort of good productive stuff as possible and less of like the sort of unfortunate commitments, which of course still exist and you got to yeah. do, you know? So yeah, I mean, I, I think all of that speaks to kind of like a, a more uh, holistic, I guess, uh, approach to things. Like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll misattribute this quote if I try to remember who it is. But, you know, just talking about like, you know, if you're writing songs or, or doing an art, like if you have an artistic practice in any way, generally, uh, it, it's just about learning to pay attention all the time and to pay attention to everything going on and so i feel like um the idea of the hobby as the place where you go to like shut off and not do that anymore is a little bit counterproductive if that makes sense yeah yeah because i think like the like you're like you're kind of looking for connection right connection and attention like you say so like the word hobby sort of implies like a disconnect or something yeah yeah well, uh, we got two, uh, two, two of these rapid-fire quote-unquote okay. uh, questions left. Uh, is there an album you remember from your childhood that uh, spurred your love of music? Yeah, I'm, I mean, like, I can think of lots. Um, and it's funny, I was just hanging out with my friend Jose Contreras just before this conversation. I just We had a coffee over at his house and we were to sort of end up talking about like old times and sort of formative experiences and then I think that's sort of why like maybe my mind went to like Fugazi right away on the at the top of the 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 conversation here but um yeah I was just thinking about like my my older brother bringing home steady died of nothing um when it was like brand new and like my brother's four years older than me and like he was hearing that music and like sort of BMX and skate videos and stuff and um like I remember him bringing home Nirvana Nevermind and I remember him bringing home like Operation Ivy energy and stuff. Um, but like, and that, I mean, Operation Ivy for sure was also pretty like life altering in terms of just like, what is this? Like, why does this album look this way? And like, 
why like what is this why does it sound this way you know but <laughs> yeah, I love yeah. it so much or whatever and like fugazi was also like that for sure just like this like why is this picture on this cassette tape like i don't even understand what this is a picture of and why does this band look this way and why does this music sound this way like and like it was just so like incomprehensible from everything i'd been exposed to previously that it just totally like triggered like such curiosity in me you know like and then like it opened like a lot of like things like okay what is this like this is so different than this world that i'm coming from like and it really made me want to chase after like that understanding you know yeah well uh very last uh very last rapid fire one then uh are there any new uh or up and coming uh bands or artists in your neck of the woods that uh, you want to give a little shout out to oh geez i mean what a lovely question and what a lovely opportunity um it's weird like for the last you know five years i was the creative director at sappy fest in sackville new brunswick so i was very like part of my day-to-day was like just checking out bands and trying to keep track of what people were up to and 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 doing and stuff and I stepped down from that position at the end of like after our our event sort of small festival we did covid era sort of festival last year um and so as a result like i'm less like attuned to stuff let alone like that this is just a super weird time and there's like yeah yeah there's barely been shows and stuff and there's shows but they get canceled and stuff. so it's like i in a weird way like i just don't have an answer for that but i like <laughs> I, I I normally like would have you know and I I do kind of miss that like understanding of what people are doing and because it's been it was you know it was part of my job but it was like a very interesting and inspiring part of that job was to know what was going on um so I'm like just sort of deeply involved with like you know the you've changed records stuff and like yeah my own projects and my peers and my friends and stuff but it's like it feels a little bit like weird to just say like oh check out like you know the new apollo coast record <laughs> or something which everyone should check out because it's <laughs> awesome but it's like i don't know if that's really the the spirit of the question you're asking yeah no, no, no that, that, that makes sense i think um it, it's interesting because of all of these questions that's probably the one that gets the most kind of uh uh nervous like uh, well people don't don't want to like forget someone right so yeah um, yeah you know which is kind of it's it's got this like uh oscars thank you speech uh vibe about it for whatever reason just uh don't want to leave anybody out yeah Um, and and was part of your question like was like sort of a local band was is that right am i remembering right yeah 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 so that like i said that's a hard one in this like era like I've been to like two shows in the last, you know, two years or whatever, you know, and they've yeah. been like, I went to see Daniel Romano play, like Dan did two shows opening for Mets, yeah. you know, and, and then like I saw Julie Doron play like back in the fall, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I saw, like I saw Booty, uh, Nick Dorado who plays with Fiverr, like I saw Nick play a, a sort of solo show opening for another band like these are like these are the four shows i've been to in the last two years you know and it's all i've only gone to see like friends or people that i'm sort of directly working with like yeah perform like they're just there hasn't been a lot and like it's such a big decision to go out like you know what's is am i going to feel comfortable is there gonna be too many people like is there gonna be like you know whatever so is the show even gonna happen you know yeah so, uh, you know, we'll use that as a kind of little transitional opportunity into the second half of things. What, what, uh, uh, like, like, what has has your artistic practice, and I guess both, like, as a songwriter, and then in your work with the label, like, uh, how is that? How has COVID kind of affected the the day to day operation of of those things? Yeah. Um... As a musician, it was pretty interesting um, in good and bad ways. Like, obviously, like, the lack of live shows and live touring and, like, that kind of stuff is pretty catastrophic. And I don't mean to say that it's not, like, catastrophic because, like, 
um, it's such a huge shift. I didn't really have like a super crazy active like live practice. Like, you know, I was playing like a fair number of shows a year, but like I wasn't like really making money at them. Like it was just sort of like almost like a weird holdover kind of habit, you know? And it was honestly like personally for me kind of nice to have that broken. Like it made like early in the pandemic, I realized like, oh, so much of like our activity as sort of like low level independent musicians is oriented around this idea of shows and touring and stuff. And like, um, you know, like you're either like trying to book the shows or you're rehearsing for the shows or you're like playing the shows or whatever. But like, that's like, that's not the only way to think about or define music, you know? So like right. having that all removed from the table, like as an, even an option was really interesting to be like, Oh, like how do I reconfigure how I'm thinking about music? And there was lots of really satisfying ways to do that. Like cool recording projects, cool, like um, new, like sort of skill development stuff that you just nor like I didn't have time or the thought to do before, you know? So like, as a as the kind of musician that I am, there was some really satisfying things about how weird and awful these last couple of years have been. <laughs> um, for yeah, people with yeah. more people with more active live practices, like a lot of the people I work with, like and you've changed, like it was way more difficult and problematic, and like they were losing like income and like all that kind of stuff. But like you know, and I like I said, I'm not trying to diminish that, but like um, diminish the pain of that loss. But you know the music still existed. Like the music isn't necessarily like playing the show. Like the music is this whole other thing that still existed, you know? So it was kind of nice to be able to reframe that a little bit. Um, in terms of running the label, like the, our sort of direct mail order stuff actually got crazy busy. Cause I think people were more at home and like they had a chance to listen to their records. So like they right. decided to order new records and stuff like, so that was like, like we actually like it was pretty busy times the last couple years we also did a few like sort of bigger projects and we had a few projects that like did better than we thought they were going to do and so like um you know or did as well or, or better than we'd hoped for so like it was that stuff in terms of covid impacts was like mostly okay um the bigger problem with the label is like the sort of catastrophe of like manufacturing right now. Like it's just right. so yeah. impossible to make anything on any kind of schedule. And that's like, it's impactful on so many uh, like practical levels. Like how do you make plans when you don't even know when the records are going to come back, you know? And it's also impactful on like, honestly, how fun it is. Like part right. of what's fun about DIY doing your own thing is like you can be spontaneous and you can do stuff quick and you don't have to ask anybody permission to do it and you can just like f- pursue your crazy idea but like now you can't do that because it's going to take a, a year to get your records back <laughs> you know what I mean if <laughs> if that or like whatever so that part of it's been terrible but that's like kind of tangentially related to the pandemic like this or the sort of whatever medical part of the pandemic you know it's about supply chain and all that kind of stuff so that's that's been and continues to be really hard like like almost catastrophically hard so like i'm so thankful for people that are like interested in what we're doing and and like actively sort of supporting what we're doing and stuff like um it's really the thing that's allowing it to keep going through like an incredibly difficult time. And that's not just for us. That's for like any, any independent label, right? It's just very difficult um, right now. Yeah. So uh, we're going to rewind quite a bit Um, where I guess uh, (laughs) very beginning. Where, where did you, uh, where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Cambridge, Ontario. Uh, which is about an hour west of Toronto uh, along the 401, sort of halfway between Toronto and London, Ontario. Um, so it's relatively small town. Well, it's actually like a decent, it's like 100,000 people or something. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm always interested because I know uh, 
this came up. I uh, I had interviewed Casey and Clayton. This is like yeah. just before the pandemic, um, and I knew they were from Southern Saskatchewan, kind of small town uh, type place. And so I had said to them, like, "Yeah, you know, I'm from a small town in Saskatchewan too, and it's North Battleford. There's like fifteen thousand mm-hmm. people." and said, what do you guys mean by small town? And they said, uh, well, nobody actually lives there anymore. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's empty. sure. And, and so I feel like, yeah, your, your, your definition of small town between different people living in different places is always very, very different. Sure. Um, I mean, Cambridge is kind of a funny place because it was three smaller towns that amalgamated. So like it was, gotcha. it was sprawled out sort of along like the banks of, sort of the Grand and Speed Rivers, sort of where they meet. Um, so, it was, yeah, it was three three smaller places that, uh, when did they, I think maybe in the late 60s, early 70s, became Cambridge. But, like, even still, like, Cambridge is obviously smaller than Toronto and Mississauga, and it's smaller than right. Hamilton, and it's smaller than London, and it's smaller than Kitchener-Waterloo, and, like, all the sort of places that surround it, um, it's still smaller than you know so by comparison it kind of counts as small even though it's kind of big but like i said it was really sprawled out like there wasn't really a center like there's the sort of three kind of historical like centers you know they were all like originally like mill towns so there's like some old stone ruins kind of like along the riverbank on on all these three little towns but they weren't like they were they were just sort of connected by strip malls and sort of like well, when I was young, the big box stores started to move in and stuff. So, yeah, yeah it was like kind of a weird and unique place. Was it was it still like kind of a like industrial town at all when when you were growing up, or had that mostly gone away? Um, you know, like I would say there was still probably some like some sort of like light industrial. You know, like there was still some kind of clothing type stuff being made there um, at gotcha. that time. Um, and there's definitely some like, yeah, there was like a steel kind of place that manufactured stuff that would have been like one of the bigger employers. So there was a bit of that for sure. Um, I mean, I, I was born in 1978. So like my childhood would be in the 80s. Like my folks don't live there anymore. So I haven't actually been back like right. other than bypassing it on the highway like i haven't been through there in like years and years and years and years now so i don't actually know how much of that stuff's there because i don't think there's a whole lot of that like anywhere you know in north america anymore like a lot of that stuff's moved offshore and stuff since then even so um but yeah there was some of that and like and then you know obviously some like service industry like not service industry in terms of like serving people food but like certain like like Sur- servicing machinery and that kind of stuff, you know, like my dad was a machinist. Gotcha. So, um, were yeah. you were you playing much music as a kid then, or or were there were there opportunities to even do that somewhere like Cambridge? <laughs> Not so much. No, like we, <laughs> you know, we had bands and stuff growing up a little bit, but um, there wasn't like a lot of art or music in like my house, like growing up. So it wasn't anything like my parents like encouraged me towards um like i said my older brother was the one bringing home like cassette tapes and music into the house and so i was sort of exposed through that but like um my parents were like accepting of it you know when me and my friends started to want to play music um but there wasn't like a lot of places to play or anything like we would play try to play a few parties i would inevitably get shut down and like to be totally blunt, like we weren't the kind of kids that were getting invited to a lot of parties anyways. (laughs) Um, And then there was like for a very little while, there was like a little sort of like cafe all ages kind of place that started up that like bands would play at a little bit, which was really, really cool. But again, I was sort of like right on the fringe of that. Um, Gotcha. So there was like a little bit, but there wasn't a lot. Um, And then like, in terms of going to see like whatever like Eric's trip play or something, which I got to see when I was like a teenager, like that was in Kitchener. Like there was a club that bands like gotcha. that or, or Thresh Hermit or like uh, the Sonic Onion bands or whatever would sort of play at, <laughs> um, or like touring bands, like like bands from like the states and stuff too would come there and whatever. So like those kinds of shows, I was driving to 
yeah, Kitchener, which is, I don't know, 20 minutes, half hour away, depending on where you were in Cambridge. Um, and then my brother moved to Guelph to go to school and like he and his friends were at the house they were living at, like kind of living in like a punk house. Like they would have punk shows gotcha. in their house. So some like the sort of like touring, like U.S. sort of post-hardcore bands and stuff would be playing there, um, you know, to 10 or 15 people past the hat kind of style. <laughs> yeah. So when did you actually start to like write your own songs? Uh, I guess sort of like later high school. So kind of like mid nineties, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I went to like, I went to high school with like Dallas Worley, who's was in the Constantines. Like we grew up playing music okay. together and also yeah. with Vishkana who does the creative control podcast. Like, you know, we were in bands together and we made music together, like as like high school kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I know Vish fairly yeah, well, cool. kind of well. Yeah. He's here in Edmonton now. Yeah, exactly. So like, you know, and then, you know, our other sort of friends and stuff, but those are the people that would still sort of be around doing stuff in this realm. Like, you know, we grew up together. So, yeah. Do, do you remember what the first thing you wrote was, whether it was by yourself or, or, or with someone else? Um, I remember the first sort of like halfway decent, like song, like our band had. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, like, when I say remember, like, I have, like, a weird sort of vague outline of how, how it went. Um, but there was probably some some stuff before that, sort of dabbling in something or other. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so when, when did, the, when did the, the Constantines kind of officially start then, uh, knowing, yeah, that you, you knew uh, one of those guys from high school? Yeah, the first show was in 99. Um, and then, so a couple of years before the first record came out, um, Constantine started, like, me me and Dallas and Vish had a band called Captain Copilot. Okay. I guess this would be maybe 96, 7, maybe, somewhere in there. And uh, Brian and Doug from the Cons at that time we're in a band called shoulder that we all really loved based in London. Um, and we were go see shoulder play like a lot. And I can't remember if we were ever actually on the same bill, but at some point, like um, those guys had seen captain copilot played and anyways, shoulder broke up and for a year or two, and then they were kind of getting back together, but the bass player had moved out West. So they, when they started to play together again, they'd asked Dallas about if he was interested in playing. And yeah. yeah, and then at some point it wasn't working out with the other guitar player. And then I got Dallas was like, hey, we should ask Steve. So I got brought in. Um, but I think that's sort of been maybe like starting to write and had been jamming for like maybe even a year or something already. But they had, there hadn't been any shows. And there was, when I came in, there was like, I think one fully completed song, if not like yeah. a song and like some part songs and stuff so um yeah first show was 99 though and we had probably six songs finished or something by then. <laughs> do you remember a point anywhere in there where you started to think like uh i i could do this as a job like that this is a thing that seems viable to pursue and and kind of uh, you know, spend my life doing. Yeah, I don't know that, like, I don't think, like, that's a huge, that's that step you're describing, like, that's a huge step, right? So For sure, yeah, yeah. Um, Like, it's actually, like, many small steps that make up that step. Um, I, I remember, like, oh, this is, like, this band's actually good, and then you start to, like, sort of prioritize your other activities around the band a bit, you know? Like a kind of that, and that happens like fairly early, like, like, oh, this is like really clicking. And like, also people are coming to the shows and this is really fun. And like, feels like there's a lot of energy and momentum behind it. Like, I do remember that. And that's pretty early on, you know, like that recognition that it's like worth like traveling to do. And it's worth like 
not doing the other thing that you might have done instead you know it's worth going to band practice like or whatever you know <laughs> like um not that that was ever in question but i think you know what i mean like so like that that happens pretty early right and like it's worth spending the money to like make the first record or whatever you know like all 300 dollars of it or whatever <laughs> Bro, i don't remember it was very cheap but um but then like i like i had jobs until uh tournament of hearts so like our third album you know was when i stopped working day jobs for a year or two you know um like that was you know i'd been working at a record shop and um called soundscapes which just closed over the pandemic like um in toronto but like you know greg who ran the place was so supportive and like it was like relatively easy to like book weeks at a time off you know to go on tour like you know there were it was difficult sometimes and like he was trying to staff a store you know so it's you know it wasn't always like a hundred percent easy but he was like broadly speaking incredibly supportive of like you know the activity of like being in a band so like that was just such a great job to have like let alone also getting to like investigate and hear about music and have conversations about music like it was also amazing for that but yeah, yeah it was like sort of like we had made turn them to hearts and like we're staring down like the barrel of like a 12 week tour you know and i was just like greg i think like i think i should maybe not count on coming back you know like yeah. i think i think we're just gonna be so busy um so that was when it sort of stopped being like balancing other day jobs you know at least for like a little while yeah yeah so fast forwarding then quite a bit like it it seems like you kind of came up like playing a lot in bands and writing and creating with other people which you've like obviously continued to do a lot throughout your career but um in the i guess you know 2010s ish um seems like there's more of a transition into like solo writing and solo releases and stuff like that what's uh what is what is the appeal to you of working either more independently or with a group of collaborators i mean there's so many pros and cons to both like it started off definitely like it wasn't like it wasn't any like effort to move away from the cons it was more just like oh like you know, nobody else in the cons wants to jam for a month because we've just been on tour for 12 weeks, you know? Like, right. So, like, <laughs> I want to do something in this next month, so, like, I wrote some songs or whatever. Like, that's kind of right. how it started, um, for sure, like, in terms of doing solo stuff. Um, but then, like, you know, the band sort of went its separate ways for a while, and, and then the solo stuff became like the more primary activity primary creative activity kind of like by default or just sort of through the natural like sort of flow of things right so um you know and then there was a time like with like the baby eagle and the proud mother's record like there was a bit of like the cons that that record was made like in those three or four years where the cons didn't do anything you know before we got back together and like that was sort of like my last, the last time I made an attempt to sort of do something like kind of as a band, you know, like it was still my songs, my, like I was generating the thing, but like I wanted it to have a bit more input from, you know, other people. And I wanted to sort of present it because it was louder music. Like I want to present it kind of as a named thing in a little way. Right. Um, But you know, that didn't last that long. Like it was just without like, like it just, it it wasn't successful enough to like keep people busy you know what i mean so inevitably <laughs> people go their other ways and like you know i wasn't in a position to like yeah like being a band leader is also very different than being in a band you know and i've talked about people right. like this with with people i work with or with friends or stuff and it's like being a band leader where you're like solely sort of responsible at the end of the day like it's an incredible amount of stress and responsibility right like because you want everyone to be healthy and happy and hopefully get paid at the end of a tour or whatever you know and it's like it's just a lot um yeah you know and so i definitely like have 
moved and been more active just in doing things as sort of projects. And it definitely involves like collaboration with people, but it's more on like an, uh, like less of an ongoing day to day kind of basis, you know, like the new record and, and my last record were both made with like Dan Romano playing drums and Dave Nardi playing bass, you know, and when we've been able to do shows like that, we've done shows like that, but like, they're also incredibly busy with the Daniel Mano outfit stuff. So they're away like tons, you know? So yeah, it's like for them, it's hundred percent like a side thing, obviously, you know? So it's like, I don't know, but it's at the, but at the same time, there is like an element of it. That's sort of like a band, like, you know, we've made a few records together and that, that conversation we're having together, like has continued to develop and, and stuff. So yeah, it's not it's not quite as like separate as like this is completely solo and this is completely a band, you know. There's a lot of right. middle ground there, a lot of gray zone in between that stuff, but um yeah. Let, let's uh let, let's uh chat a little bit about the new record then. It's uh it's called Volcano Volcano. Um when did when did the process of kind of uh starting to put together these songs into a record like when when did you start i guess even uh conceptualizing this group of songs as a record uh i mean i I cut yeah yeah, totally (laughs) yeah i i wrote i wrote them like mostly in 2018 and 2019 um and then we recorded them in when like january i guess 2021 so like a year ago basically right um so there was a few the last few songs were written in 2020 but they were actually mostly written before that um i have i had kind of a strange or i had a very particular kind of rhythm to my years the last bunch of years like when i was working sappy fest because that would be such a huge time commitment, you know, like in addition to like right. the on- ongoing sort of responsibilities of, of doing the you've changed label stuff. Um, but so like, I wouldn't like, honestly, like get to do hardly any creative work sort of through March through August of any given year. Cause I was just like right. so busy with putting Sappy Fest together, which happens the first weekend of August. Um, so, but in 2018 and 2019, I did, uh, residencies like artist residencies in September of both of those years okay where, like I would go somewhere like go to an artist residency for like a month and like be like this is my time to like reclaim like my creative practice you know after it being set aside for the past six months or whatever so the most of the songs on Volcano Volcano were written at those in those two sort of chunks, you know, with like you know yeah. sl- like ongoing stuff in between that and th- sort of throughout. But like most of the material was from those times, um, as well as a bunch of other sort of material that was sort of made at the same time as that. But like are either you know set aside just for the, into the archives or will maybe be on some other kind of project at some point. Like. Um, but sort of at the end of that, like I had most of this record written um, with a couple exceptions that were written, like I say, sort of through the strangeness that was 2020. Um, yeah. Was there, um, I guess when you, when you start work writing new songs, do you, are, are you even thinking about the, the kind of record that might uh house all of those songs together like are, are you thinking conceptually about it at all or or do you kind of approach it as well you know I'm, I'm going to write songs until i have enough good ones to to put on a record kind of more that like but it's it's like i do like i do believe most of my records like to sort of have loose concepts and stuff but it's more a process of discovery of what that is rather than like original intent um and that's like like i believe that art is made sort of from like our lives and context so like you know every couple years like you've learned and experienced a couple years worth of life and different things and become curious about different things so it's like the records do have different 
focuses from one to the other because that's how life kind of is, you know? Right, like, or, yeah. Or like the life of the mind or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, like I don't, I very rarely start with like an intent, like a conceptual intent, you know? But it might be like, oh, the first song I wrote, like, oh, like a, a, a pathway opened there. Like I have had right. that experience, you know? Like um, not so much with this, like this Volcano Volcano definitely felt more like let's write and see what happens and then like oh these are the connections and then like sort of pursue that a little bit but it was a, a process of discovery more than of like setting out in any one particular direction um, and it, it kind of goes the same for like the sound of them you know like right um, like what is the sound that feels right for this rather than like, I'm going to set out to make a record that sounds like some other record from the past. Like I don't work like that. Or I don't work like thinking about genres or whatever too much. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. I, I mean, I always think of, uh, uh, pet sounds specifically because of, of the title that just like, you know, the joke is those are Brian Wilson's pet sounds. And <laughs> I, I think generally speaking, most records are like that, right? Like it's it's a time capsule of, of your taste and the things that you were interested in sonically at that time. And so, you know, uh, of course, every record is going to be a little different because, yeah, your your interests change. Yeah, absolutely. And especially like the way like I'm making records, like, like I... I really do prioritize that sort of sense of discovery. Like I'm not like, we're not recording to click tracks and stuff. Like I want the record right. to sound like, like Daniel, Dave and myself in the room, like, you know, which we were. And like, I don't mean to pres present it as if there's not like craft or editing or like, you know, trickery <laughs> involved because there is, <laughs> you know, and I'm overdubbing tons of stuff or whatever. Like, but like, the heart of the song, like, to me, like, I am prioritizing, like, this, us listening to each other and us, like, breathing. And on Volcano, Volcano in particular, like, there's, like, some songs that are, like, not only are they not to a click, like, they're purposefully, like, kind of free time. And, like, I asked everyone to, like, like, just sort of follow, like, the lyric, you know, and don't think about, like, counting the beats or whatever. So right. like a song like Brave Thoughts or even like the verses of uh, the song Volcano Volcano, like it's not to like, it's not really to a beat, you know, it's to like, just like the sort of cosmic beat that we're all listening to, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like that was like a choice that was made because that's what those songs sort of asked me to do in a way or something, you know, like not to get too yeah, mystical yeah. about it, but like, that's like what felt true and exciting for those songs. Um, well, uh, um, we're, we're getting to the end here. Let's, uh, let's, let's pick a track that, uh, you, you might want to play at the end of the episode. I know there, there's a couple that are out already and then the rest of the record comes out on the 29th, I believe, which is, uh, a week from when this episode is going to come out. Uh, yeah. you got something you're really excited about, uh, about sharing and maybe talking about a little bit. Uh, well, maybe we should do one of the ones we just mentioned. Let's say like, let's, I don't know. Let's do volcano volcano. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, both the title track and the first track. I, I, for whatever reason, I always feel like it's good to feature the first track just because, uh, you know, I I, I uh, am a bit of a album sequencing uh, geek, and uh, first song is not often the single, but it kind of sets the tone for everything. Do, do do you feel? I mean, it's the title track too. I'm going to assume you feel yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, how do, how do you feel like? Yeah, this song kind of uh, presents the rest of the record that's about to come. If that makes sense. I definitely think it does. Like, sort of introduce like the themes you know lyrically like i think right most of the rest of the record is, is in a weird way like in this song to me um but also like musically like i'm hoping the song is the way that like it 
it tells the person like how to listen to it, you know? So it's like, it is a weirdly drifting kind of tune off the top, like by like intention, you know? And I'm just like asking like the person to, you know, come join us on that drift, you know, like it's not the most obvious opening song, like where you're going to hit, hit with your club banger or whatever off the top. (laughs) Like this is not that song, but I'm, you know, I'm my own record label and I don't have a manager. I don't have anyone to tell me these ideas are good or bad. I just get to do them (laughs) as I want, you know? So, um, this one felt like, okay, this is like the sound of this record, you know, because I'm also playing like a lot of Melodian or Melodica like on this. So like there's a lot of like right. my my breath, you know, like so in terms of like what I was talking about earlier with the rhythm and like the idea of like we're breathing together, you know, and so there's actually like a breath instrument and stuff too. Like I'm trying to like introduce all that here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess it, it becomes, I mean, there's like a lyrical side to it. And then there is, yeah, just the, you know, the palette with which the rest of the album gets painted, if that makes sense. Yeah. And hopefully those are connected, you know, like. Yeah, yeah. Like, like lyrically, like this is like, you know, I'm trying to like sort of affirm like our sort of shared physical reality, you know, and that involves air and breath, you know, and it involves the things around us. So like there's a lot of observation in the lyrics of of our shared you know mutual existence in the in the world Um, yeah yeah and also like the sort of potential of us acknowledging that you know so the the sort of tagline of the song is the you know the world is reordered from below um which is you know a slight adaptation adaptation of like a you know sort of revolutionary slogan but it's not like it's not putting forward like overtly that like you know any particular political agenda but i do believe you know that the only hope for us is to get together and change some things <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, yeah so it's a celebration of like the real but also a celebration of of potential you know so that's where the volcano volcano comes from well, I, I feel like that's as good a place as any to uh, to leave things here. We're, we're going to listen to a song called the Volcano Volcano from the record Volcano Volcano, which uh, got ourselves a, a debut on this episode. So uh, yeah, ch- check out the record, which third time saying this in 30 seconds is Volcano Volcano. <laughs> uh, it's coming out on April 29th. And uh, yeah, th- thanks so much, man, for sitting down to chat. It was really fun. Yeah, wonderful. Thanks for having me on. The rain will raise the bend, the night will raise the moon. Rapid fence like a rotten tooth, and the world is reordered from below. There's floating lights behind your eyes Battleships and jellyfish From the ditch of fiction truth will rise And the world is reordered from below Third floor window curtains raised Raise the window and the plate and disappear distant thunder coming near the stutter raise the truth to ear and the world is reordered from below every heart is laboring eternal clatter of the broken things and all together we 
softly sing The world is reordered from below Inside the Artist Studio is produced by Sean Davis Newton for the Cups and Cakes Network. The featured track Volcano Volcano was played with permission from Stephen Lamke. Thanks to Laundry Week for the use of their song Nothing on My Mind from the Grimpy EP, both our intro and outro music. Inside the Artist Studio is one of the many ways the Cups and Cakes Network highlights Canadian music. Visit our website cupsandcakespod.com to browse our audio, video, and written content. That's Cups, the letter N, cakespod.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.